Our worst enemy is us. We make bad decisions, and the Bible says that we will reap what we sow. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. I entitled this message, Failing to Remember. Have you ever failed to remember something? Of course you have. I mean, from forgetting a meeting to taking out the trash, it just happens. We forget things, you know, that we've been asked to do. But there is one thing that's worse than us forgetting to do something. It's literally being forgotten by others. Yes, I think we've all also have been forgotten at some point in our lives. You know, maybe it was a family member or a special person in your life and they forgot your birthday or or some other significant day in your life. Yes, I'm sure those two things have happened to us all. Number one, we have forgotten to do things. And number two, we have been forgotten by others at some point. Well, let's look at our first point, crying for mercy, as we read together in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. He says, now while he, this is Jesus, of course, while Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests as they were going, they were cleansed. Wow. We'll stop there for a moment. Now notice in verse 11, Jesus was traveling between Samaria and Galilee on his way to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus liked going through Samaria. Yet this was odd for a Jew to do this, to go through Samaria. You might say, well, why is that? Because the Samaritans were Jews that were captured by the Assyrians back in 722 BC. They were moved to Samaria with other various nations. Now, while the Jews were there, mixed with all these other various nations, they started intermarrying with these Gentiles. And because of that, they were considered now half-breeds, sellouts. They were considered unclean because they tainted their pure bloodline. Thus, they were abandoned and they were forsaken by the other Jews. They were not allowed to marry back into Jewish families, for they had again tainted their bloodline. So they were restricted from all social interactions with the other Jews. It was even forbidden for a Jew to even mention the name Samaritan. It was considered contemptible. Yet Jesus had a very different look 
at the Samaritans. He had a compassionate heart towards them, as he does for every race and every nationality. The Bible tells us in Colossians 3.11, like it does in many other places, that there is no distinction between a Gentile and a Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, but Christ is all and he is in all. That is, he is in all those who desire to have them in their life. As you know, Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if you'll allow me to come in, I'll come in and sup with you. So it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. He wants to come in. And so he makes that very clear in his word. Yes, Jesus purposed in his heart to go through Samaria. He reached out to this hated and despised people. As you remember, in John chapter 4, Jesus was again going through Samaria, and there he met a woman at the well. We only know her as the woman at the well, and it appeared that she was an outcast to her own people. So imagine the Samaritans on a whole are an outcast, but she's an outcast within the outcast. So you could say that she is the least of the least as a Samaritan woman. She was a woman of scorn. Now, why was she a woman of scorn? Because she had been married and divorced multiple times. And the person that she was living with, her boyfriend, well, that was just a boyfriend. It wasn't her husband at all. Yet when she came face to face with Jesus at that well at noontime, she not only walked away, changed within her own soul, but God used her as an instrument, as a conduit in leading her entire village to Christ. Now, here we are today, as Jesus passed through Samaria once again here in Luke chapter 17, and he's confronted by this group of men who stood at a distance. Now, again, why are they standing at a distance? Because they have leprosy. Leprosy was a disease that attacked the skin. It was like a flesh-eating disease. There was no cure for it. And it would literally just start eating your fingers off, just eating your skin. It would just work your way up as your hands. It would just, your flesh would start falling off of your body. And it was a slow and miserable death. And there was nothing that they could do. So they were defiled by this flesh-eating disease. They were living tormented lives of total humiliation, for it was required of them to live outside of the city. Listen to what the law of God has written in the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God. It says in Leviticus 13.45, it says, those who suffer from leprosy, they must tear their clothing, They must leave their hair uncombed and they must cover their mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. Imagine that. If you have leprosy, you are ostracized from your family, from society, from culture. You're put aside. And then if you're just walking down the road and someone's coming up to you, you have to like 20, 30 feet away. You got to cover your mouth and you got to cry out to them, unclean, unclean, so that they stand back. And then when they see you, oh my goodness, they got leprosy. And you just walk all the way around them. They couldn't interact again with people. They couldn't interact with their own families. So they cried out to Jesus. 
Have mercy on us. We're sick of this lifestyle. We're sick of being the aloneness here. Have mercy on us. They were begging Jesus for relief from this disease. They were looking for some kind of a miracle, you could say. They were seeking Jesus for deliverance. They were lost. They were forgotten. And they were for sure forsaken. Their plight was one of great misery. The reality of their situation was what? It was death. And it wasn't going to happen fast. It was going to be a slow, miserable, painstaking death as they literally rotted on their own skeleton. And then they would just simply fall over and die. These men must have heard about Jesus. Jesus was the most popular topic of conversation of the time. They must have heard of all the things that he had done. The prophet who spoke like no other prophet, who healed the sick, who made the blind see, the lame walk. Some even said that he's raised people from the dead. Well, once they saw Jesus, oh my goodness, that's him? That's the one that we've heard about? Instead of crying out, unclean, unclean, like they were supposed to do, they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That word master in the original language means chief commander. Chief commander. They recognize Jesus as the master above every disease. They imagine Jesus as as the master over every problem in every circumstance. I wonder if Jesus is our master. I wonder if he's our master commander. I wonder if he's our chief commander. I wonder if like these leprous men, do we see Jesus as he truly is? Do we see him as the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, able to intervene no matter what impossible circumstance that we might be facing today? Do we see him like that? No matter how tormented our heart might be, no matter how hopeless our life might seem, remember the Bible is a treasure chest of promises for us as believers. Listen to Psalm 31, 24. It says, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. See, you can only be strong. You can only take your courage in the Lord if your hope is in the Lord. Because if your hope is not in the Lord, if you're not a born again Christian, then this promise is not for you. You cannot grab onto that and say, no matter what my circumstance, no matter what my brokenness, I know that my God can fix it. No, you can't say that unless the Lord is your stronghold. But maybe someone here might say, well, pastor, it all sounds good, but you don't know where I've been. My life has been a disaster. But listen to what the God of creation has to say to you and your disastrous life. Joel 2.25 says, Then I will make up for you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the years that the creeping locust has eaten, the years of the stripping locust and the gnawing locust. 
whatever has been eaten in your life, whatever has ravaged your soul, whether it's from things that were outside of your control that came in with circumstances and completely changed the trajectory of your life, or whether it was you. Because with all of us, our worst enemy is us. We make bad decisions. And the Bible says that we will reap what we sow. And so maybe you have made horrible decisions in your life and now you're reaping it. No, maybe you blame this and I blame my parents. I blame the way I was raised. I blame the United States. I blame this. And there's about everything that you can blame. But ultimately, we make bad decisions. And when we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we are our own worst enemy. And yet in those times, God is saying, no matter what has happened, God can redeem. I can make up those years, he says. God can make up for us all the years that the locusts have eaten in our lives. The one that's come and devoured on us. The one who has ravaged us. Amen. The one that's come along and and licked up the leftovers. No matter what has happened in our life. All those things that have eaten a piece of us and eaten a part of our soul, eaten a part of our hope that we have inside, God says, I can make it up for you. No matter how many years, this, as you might guess, is an incredible portion of Scripture. Because God is saying that somehow, some way, I can step into your life and I can make all things new. Wow. Jesus had compassion on these lepers. And what did he say to them? He says, you go. You go right now. Show yourself to the priest. And as they went by faith, they were healed. As they started to go, as they listened to what he said, by faith, they were all healed. Notice how Jesus always desires us to move in faith. He told them, go, and they did, and they were healed. What if one of them would have said, well, I'm not going until I see that I'm healed first. Like, why would I go waste the priest's time if I'm not healed? So what if I just say, well, I'm going to wait here until I see healing, and then I'll go. Well, if he would have said that, guess what? He would not have been healed. We have to move when God tells us to move. No matter if we see some result or we don't see some result. If God says move, we move. It was Naaman, the mighty warrior found in 2 Kings chapter 5. He was also afflicted with leprosy. He went to the prophet Elijah's house, as you know. Yet Elisha did not pray for him on the spot. In fact, Elisha was upstairs and did not even come downstairs to address this mighty warrior. He sent his servant out to talk to him. Yes, sir. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, I got a message for you from the big man. Uh, Wait, I'm Naaman. Don't you know who I am? I came on a long journey to see the prophet of God to heal me. Yeah, well, uh, he's busy. So I got a message for you. And it's like, well, what's the message? He wants you to go down to the Jordan River and dunk in it up and down seven times. He's like, what? The Bible says he was enraged. 
How could you, what? Like that man doesn't even come out and talk to me to my face after all this time? Don't you know who I am? Look at the 22s on my chariot. I've got money here and I've brought gifts. I want special treatment. The Bible says that he says, I thought that he would come out and wave his hands in the air. Isn't that what we expect? Don't we see that on television evangelists? Yes, come now in the name of Jesus. And they got the towel over their shoulder. They're wiping their head. And it's like, let me hit you with anointed water. Let me do this. Have some special thing. Isn't that what we're looking for? The special treatment? The special thing? The prophet that comes out and, and waves his hand? No, Elisha didn't even come downstairs to greet him. So Naaman left, enraged. I'm out of here. See ya. And then his servant said, uh, excuse me, boss. Yeah, what do you want? Uh, I know I'm just here to, you know, carry your saddle, you know, but uh, if this guy would have asked you to do some noble thing, would you not have went out and did some noble thing? Go conquer the city over here. Okay, I'll go conquer it and come back for my healing because I deserve it. Why don't you just do what he said? Oh, that's a novel thought. Why don't you just do what God said? Hmm. So he goes down to the Jordan River. It's not a pleasant place. He has to start taking his armor off. As he's taking his armor off, his men know that he's sick. You know, the boss is sick. You know, man, we followed him in war. He's got like the SEAL team with him. It's the, the army rangers, you know, they're all together with him. Like, yeah, we're, we're here with you. They've never probably seen him with his armor off. So he's taking everything off. And all of a sudden, he's just an old, sick, frail man. Because that's the reality. You're nothing like you used to be in your prime. You're an old guy now. You got leprosy and it's eating you alive. And I could see all of his men like, whoa. Knew the boss was sick, but whoa. Yeah, stand back a little bit more. Like, how's it going? And, and he gets in the water. And he dunks down, he comes up. Dunks down, he comes up. Dunks Like, he could probably thinking, like, I look like an idiot. Five, six, nothing. I'm dunking up and down. And then he comes up on the seventh time. And the Bible says that his skin was transformed to the skin of a baby. Completely healed. What is the point? The point is, he did what God told him to do. You know, God never gives us the blueprint. He gives you an eighth inch of it. That's it. Like, wait, wait, I want the whole plan. No, no, no. You have to take the first step. Then he gives you the next eighth inch. And it's like, are you willing to walk by faith? Are you willing to do what God calls you to do? I wonder how many times God has spoken to our hearts to do something, to speak to another person, to invite someone, and we didn't do it. And because we were not willing to step out in faith, therefore, nothing happened. It's like God moves in our heart. He moves us. He, he motivates us and he gives us opportunity. But if we don't move, then nothing happens. Which brings up our second point, stopping to praise. Let's read what happens next here in Luke 17, picking up in verse 15. It says, now one of them, remember there was 10 that were told to go. They're all going. The Bible already told us he healed them all. When he saw that he had been healed, 
Like, oh my goodness, could you imagine? You, know, you got leprosy all over your hands and everything. Your, your fingers are falling off. And all of a sudden, man, my hands are completely restored. And he turned back, glorifying God. Notice, with a loud voice. Whoa, Jesus, Jesus. Whoa, Je- whoa look at me, look at me. Okay, loud voice, verse 16. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Wow. Wow. One of the lepers, realizing he's been healed, he comes back glorifying God. He fell on his face thanking Jesus. Notice the progression. First, he was crying out for help. Most of us know how to do that, right? Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Then Jesus simply said, Go to the priest. Again, if none of them would have moved, then nothing would have happened. But by faith, they all took off, and because of that, they were all healed. But then, when the miraculous happened, and the leprosy, the skin-eating bacteria, was taken away, they were cleansed right in front of their very eyes, and they were healed, well, nine out of the ten kept going to show themselves to the priests, to be deemed healed so they could be restored to to their culture, to their society, more importantly, to be restored to their families. But this one man, he stopped. He stopped in his shock, in his amazement. And he immediately turns around and starts screaming and going, running back to Jesus, falls in total worship and adoration at his feet. He was glorifying God. He couldn't believe it. All those years of being ostracized, all those years of being abandoned by society, by his own family, his own loved ones. How desperate this man must have been for love in his life. How he must have longed to be accepted in in just life in general again. To have the embrace of another person around him. Now, all he could do is just fall on his face at Jesus' feet. This is a universal sign of, of surrender and thanksgiving and praise. For he had no earthly gift to give the Lord. What did he have? He had nothing. He lost everything. So he brought the only thing that he had. He brought his own praise, his own worship to the Lord's feet, wrapped with a thankful heart. He must have cried out the words of Psalm 103. Listen to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and I will forget none of his benefits. Who has pardoned me of my iniquities? Who has healed me of my disease? Who has redeemed my life from the pit? Who has crowned me with loving kindness and compassion? Who satisfies my years with good things so that my youth is renewed like an eagle? Wow. Could you imagine how thankful this man was? Like, man, I'm on a one-way ticket to hell. My body's falling apart. I'm dying a slow death. And all of a sudden, I'm healed. I wonder, when was the last time that we just fell on our face 
before the Lord. And we didn't come out with our laundry list of more wants and desires. Oh, yes, Lord, I come before you. Thank you so much. And Lord, I just really need this and this and this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that. But rather just a heart of thankfulness. Oh, God, I'm just coming before you. I don't want anything. I just want to thank you. I just want to praise you. It's something to consider. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789 Los Angeles, California 90034. 